Hello everyone and welcome once again to Motos and Friends, brought to you by the editors at Ultimate Motorcycling. My name is Arthur Coldwells. In our first segment, senior editor Nick DeSena has just returned from Jerez in Spain, where he was riding the new Triumph 765R and RS models. These bikes have had significant upgrades and Nick got to ride them both on the track and on the surrounding roads. Have you looked at the 2023 Suzuki Hayabusa yet? One of the most iconic sport bikes ever. It's faster and the most technologically advanced Hayabusa ever. Check it out in person at your local Suzuki dealer now or visit suzukicycles.com to learn more. In our second segment, Associate Editor TJ Adams chats with Patrick Buzz Hayes. Patrick's a lifelong motorcycle rider and power sports photographer, and he is now involved in the raising of funds and the production of an upcoming documentary movie about Lily Farrow. She's the founder of A.D. Farrow, America's oldest Harley-Davidson dealer. Iron Lily will bring the incredible story of Lily to the big screen, highlighting the trials, tribulations, and ultimate amazing success of a lady who overcame such obstacles to take care of her family. So, from all of us at Ultimate Motorcycling, we hope you enjoy this episode of Motos and Friends. We love your feedback. Please send us your comments and suggestions at producer at ultimatemotorcycling.com. And if you like Motos and Friends, hit the subscribe button. The new Triumph Street Triple 765R and RS. So that's Triumph's middleweight naked motorcycles. And they've been around for quite some time. The, the original model came out in 2007. It's been updated, you know, pretty consistently up until now. And the current generation, powered by the 765 engine, we rode back in 2017, if I remember correctly. And then again in late 19 for the 2020 model year. So this is now the, the third generation, we'll say, of the 765 iteration. And this year it's gotten a, a healthy list of updates. And on paper, they might not seem like a whole lot. But when you kind of add it all together, it, it actually changes the, the bike for, for the better, I'll say. Um, so kind of topping the list, in my opinion, is the more advanced rider aids. So it now has IMU-supported electronics. That means lean angle sense of traction control, coronary ABS, wheelie control, things of that nature. And they're all derived from its big brother, the Speed Triple. And then, of course, we have a host of engine updates to the 765cc triple-cylinder engine. And those all come trickling down from... Uh, Triumph's experience in the Moto2 uh, paddock as the, the spec engine supplier for the, the Moto2 World Championship. Then, of course, there are some geometry changes to the, the R and the RS that improve the handling characteristics. And there's a couple other little tweaks there, you know, in there as well. But overall, those are kind of the highlights. Is there any difference between the R and the RS chassis-wise, or is it just a, a specifications thing? Yes to both. So let's talk about the R and kind of break down the core differences between the two. And it really 
really defines the position of each motorcycle because as Triumph sees it, the R favors a more road going personality, whereas the RS is the up spec version that really caters to the more sport oriented rider or perhaps track day goer as well. Now, the reality is both bikes are inherently sporty motorcycles. As we know, they're developed from the Daytona chassis that goes way, way back. And, you know, some of that DNA is still more than prevalent. But brass tacks, when you're talking about the R, you're dealing with something that, if you wanted to take a cynical approach, could be described as, quote unquote, lower spec. But as it stands, the components that are on it are quite good. So they're only lower spec if you're directly comparing it to the RS. Now, okay, let's talk about suspension first. Or actually, before we do suspension, let's talk about brakes. So on the R model, you're dealing with Brembo M4.32 calipers. You know what those calipers are. They're on tons and tons of bikes. They've been around for quite a long time. Um, it's a performance-oriented caliper. It's not up to the standards of the Stylema or the M50s. The Stylema is actually featured on the RS for that you know, top-tier performance experience but they are, are more than capable. Again, they're featured on multiple, multiple, multiple motorcycles throughout the industry. And it's just sort of a tried and true caliper. There you go. Sure. Moving on up, you get an axial master cylinder paired to those M432s. That saves a few pennies. And then as we go to the suspension, you're dealing with a Showa separate function fork. So that means all of the adjustment is relegated to one fork leg instead of both. And then you go to the rear shock and that's going to be a fully adjustable Showa unit. Of course, on the R, even though, like I mentioned before, it is a quote unquote lower spec model, you still get fully adjustable suspension. It's just tuned a little bit differently. Of course, it's, it's spec and it's positioning make it a little more apt for the road. It's not as uh, firmly damped or firmly sprung. And then, you know, some of the other changes, you have a model specific tuning uh, to the, the R model. So the 765 engine, despite the fact that the engines between all of the different uh, 765 street trivels are mechanically identical, it features a unique state of tune. And really that bumps up the, the horsepower to 118 horsepower. So it's only gained two HP when compared to the last year's model. And then it's also gotten a, a single digit bump in, in torque, bringing it up to 50, 59 foot pounds of torque. Um, so those are the core differences. Now, when you talk about how that, that actually changes stuff, um, <clears throat> the R, because of its, its road positioning, the geometry was changed a little bit for the 2023 slash 2024 year in the United States. We're calling this bike a 2024 in Europe and other markets, 23. Um, the geometry is a little bit more neutral. Um, even though when you compare it to last year's R, the geometry is slightly more aggressive. According to Triumph staff, that's just by fiddling with the suspension settings and things like that. But overall, the bike has a bit more neutral stance. You know, it's, it's, it's still a very sporty motorcycle. It's just not kind of pointed on its nose and, you know, things like that. Um, and, you know, the ride modes as well. So like I mentioned before, it has a model specific tune despite sharing an engine with the rest of the motorcycles. 
And that sort of quote unquote lower performance tune doesn't really matter on the street because realistically you're in the mid range, you know, 90% of the time when you're riding on the road, even when you're kind of getting after it in the canyons. Um, so anyway, you know, you're dealing with uh, riding modes that are catered to that bike. You know, you're dealing with road, rain, sport, and a customizable rider mode. So you can adjust things as you see fit. And then you still get all of the IMU supported electronics that now cascade across the entire product lineup. And those are the core differences. So I guess we should probably talk about the RS if we got, you know, we got a baseline for the R now. Can I just ask you quickly, if I understand it correctly, the R does not have a difference in rake and trail numbers. It's purely suspension adjustment that, that changes its stance. The suspension adjustments have changed the geometry figures a little bit compared to last year's R, but overall, they're still going in a direction that promotes a more road-oriented geometry, we'll call it. Right. So it's not as pointed as RS models or you know sportier motorcycles in general. But if you really look at the spec sheet numbers and compare the prior generation R to the current generation R, it will have tighter geometry overall. Okay. And a lot of that has to do with, uh, again, tweaking suspension. The wheelbase is shorter because they've tightened final drive gearing overall. Um, in addition to those engine updates, there was a significant uh, shortening of the transmission, uh, save for first gear. Everything else is shorter. And then you have a, a tighter final drive uh, gearing, and that just kind of tucked the wheel in a little bit. Okay, so essentially the chassis are identical, but it's it's suspension tweaks that has changed the the chassis numbers. Yes, and that 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 logic applies to the RS as well. So when okay, you're talking great. frame and swing arm, yes, subframe, all that good stuff, fuel tank, seating position, yada yada yada. It's all the same. What changes okay. between the two bikes is shock, fork, and then how those things are configured. Now moving to the RS. We'll start at the front again. You get the up-spec Brembo Stylum calipers. Those are the, the top spec in the current uh, you know, production motorcycle line for Brembo. Then you get the uh, Showa big piston fork. So that allows adjustment on each leg individually. And that's fully adjustable again. Uh, something to note on these motorcycles is that whether you're talking R or RS, all the suspension is fully adjustable. We can't say that for some of this bike's competitors, like the Ducati Monster, KTM 892 car. You know, some of the bikes in this class fiddle around with, with the features. So, you know, not everything is equal overall. Um, you really have to kind of dig into it. Now, that's an aside. Moving to the rear, you get an Olin's STX 40 shock, again, fully adjustable. And this is where the core differences between the R and the RS start to shine. Now, if we go back to that 765 triple engine and all of those updates, mechanically, they're identical across the motorcycles. What changes is the fuel tuning, which bumps up peak horsepower on the RS to 128. That's up seven points from last year, and they have the same 59 foot-pounds of torque. Now, all of that I want to don't want to say all of it, but most of its extra horsepower lives in the upper rev range. So you're getting to the upper upper portion of the mid-range power bands, and then from about you know 7,500 eight grand on, that's where it really starts making strides against the R, and then all of that 
that extra power really lives up top. So that's not something that you're generally going to be using on the street unless you're really ringing it out. That's where you can see the difference on the racetrack. That said, there is a whiff of a power difference overall between the R and the RS, but it's not a night and day thing. They're definitely of the same, you know, cut from the same cloth, we'll say. They also exhibit some of the same traits um, just in terms of their power delivery. Very smooth, extremely smooth actually. And then, you know, as you carry on, it builds power and really starts to get its stride by about that five grand mark where things build, 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 build. And that's kind of where we're at with that. Now, back to the RS differences, you have that, that upgraded suspension. And the thing that really sticks out is the RS just has much sportier geometry compared to the last generation RS. So rake is steeper, trail figures are shorter, wheelbase is a little bit shorter. Um, and that's been changed not due to you know, lengthening the shock or anything like that. It's just by simply shimming the shock, essentially. So they're just raising the rear ride height. And that's all they're doing is just changing geometry that way. So that's something that, you know, a lot of sport bike riders would do anyway, if they're going to track days and things like that, and you're customizing your geometry based on what you need. So anyone that has owned a track bike or, you know, does a lot of track days, you'll know what I'm getting at there. And then of course, with the electronics, the RS gains an extra track riding mode, which has a few differences compared to the RS. And we'll get into that later. And then you also get the Brembo MCS master cylinder, which is a span and ratio adjustable unit. You also get bar end mirrors and a TFT display compared to the R. So there are some, you know, a, a few other little differences, but mechanically they're extremely close motorcycles. I guess obviously the, the big question is, is what are these things like to ride, especially compared to previous models, which you are very familiar with? Yeah, yeah, of course. You know, the, the first thing to kind of hone in on, and we've already touched on it a little bit, is the, the engines. And what I mentioned before is, you know, a lot of the engine updates, or not a lot of them, all of the engine updates come from Triumph's experience in the Moto2 paddock. So kind of just start at the top here. You're going to be talking about shorter intake trumpets. That That's really what facilitates that higher RPM gain. You're just able to feed more air into the into the system and then that goes into improved inlet port design you have new valves new cams that both increased or work to increase lift overall and that also feeds into a reshaped combustion chamber as well as a reshaped piston both of which are now milled or machined whatever term you enjoy and that facilitates a higher compression ratio as well as higher cylinder pressures so due to that, you're also going to need some stronger connecting rods, gudgeon pins. And then as you kind of dive deeper into the engine, there's a couple little tweaks to compensate for that. So really, they've just beefed up the internals of the engine. And that's how we're able to see some of these higher spec sheet numbers come to fruition. Now, a lot of that has to do with the tuning. We've already touched on that before. The R makes peak horsepower at 118. The RS makes peak horsepower at 128. And like I said before, the characteristics are pretty relative. They still have that very smooth, very supple feeling throughout the entire power band. And with these updates, 
you know, although Triumph didn't really call it out, this is something that I was talking about with a couple of the engineers. It really does seem like every time we ride these bikes or every time these bikes are updated, especially if you go back to the 675, the engines just become progressively smoother, progressively more refined. You know, there's less mechanical whir. You just don't feel that that sort of mechanical kind of kachunk feeling throughout any of its its actuation. It just becomes, you know, smoother and smoother and smoother. So just more sophisticated, basically. Yeah, because if you if you go back to a, a six seven five, which interestingly enough, one of my buddies races one, and I rode around the other day. You know, you can really just feel how the you know, the gearbox just isn't as tight as it is now. And granted, we're going back a long way, so there makes sense. But, <laughs> right. You know, there, there was an update in the, for the 2020 model year that, that definitely improved things. What was it, 2019? Can't really remember. Anyway, but yeah, you know, the, these engines are insanely smooth. And the other critical update that really, really drives the, the improved acceleration point home and that's what they really wanted to do with this update is tightening up those, those gear ratios through the transmission. So every gear is shorter except for first gear. And then, you know, doubling down on that, we have shorter final drive gearing. So really what they're trying to do is just get into the power band faster and allow riders to access the power much easier. Because if you compare the 765 triple against say something like the 890 Duke R, which is a parallel twin powered motorcycle. A parallel twin is probably going to, you know, in most instances, probably going to produce more torque at a lower RPM than a triple cylinder variant. And that's what they're trying to do. They're trying to make it match that riding experience. And as, as these are street bikes first, and the RS is a track bike second, diving into that power band and, and allowing riders to really stick their fork in the power earlier is something that comes through on this update before you know there was some good low end but it would really be all about the mid-range and then that top end rush now things have been sort of scooted down you still get all the same flavors across the you know the the rpm spectrum but a lot of that power is just being dragged down a little bit earlier so you know there's how things are delivered and just how it accelerates it just happens earlier faster easier and that really translates nicely on a road bike because you can you know you can get into the power out of the apex on the road you don't have to just wring the thing's neck to feel like you're having any fun it's always there it's an engaging exhilarating experience that's something i've always come to appreciate the 765 engine now when you're riding the rs on the racetrack that shorter gearing I don't want to say it's a detriment because it's definitely not, but you can definitely start blasting through the gearbox a little faster than you might imagine because you're like, oh, yeah, these <laughs> gears are shorter. And I am going through the gearbox a lot faster than I may have I may have done before. But luckily, both bikes are equipped stock with the uh, the Big Brother Speed Triple 1200 R and RS's brilliant quick shifter. So that's <laughs> hand me down from those motorcycles. Sure. Again, both, you know, bi-directional, so you're all good there. The, the sort of the takeaway, it's like, yes, you, you do have shorter gearing. Yes, you do have to, you know, shift a little bit more. And I guess you'd compromise uh, top speed because of the shorter gearing. 
but again, street bike, street bike, street bike, kind of keep this in your mind. Like how often are sure. you going 148 miles an hour or whatever? I think the bike actually tops out in like the one thirties, but you know, it's, it, it's one of those situations where you can't actually carry a gear taller into a corner and you still have good punch to get out of the, you know, get out of the apex. Okay. And you're not bogging the engine down. It just, in certain ways, it, it helps the riding experience. So I'd say in nine out of 10 ways, the, the riding experience benefits from that shorter gearing. If you're talking about, oh, I need top speed, you know, this and that, well, the shorter gearing has sort of compromised that a little bit. But again, street bike, no one cares. So, <laughs> All right. And if you're a track day guy or, or a racer, you can always, you know, gear, gear it up a little bit slightly smaller rear sprocket take a couple of teeth off the rear sprocket and yeah and, and just remember the internal gear ratios while the final drive gearing has been changed the internal ratios are the ones that really stick so sure that's kind of the, the big takeaway again it's all geared at making these engines easier to ride on the street getting into that power band a little bit easier and they're still insanely smooth that's kind of the, <laughs> kind of the thing about them yeah, they're beautiful. Now, the one thing I do like about that shorter gearing is, and this really comes off on the RS because of its, you know, extra little sniff of power and you're in a racetrack setting, the engine kind of comes off as a little bit more aggressive these days. So yeah, we've always kind of regarded as the triumphs of being these very gentlemanly motorcycles. Now it's got, you know, maybe a little bit more Arthur Shelby in it, we'll say. Um, <laughs> and, and that's only when you really spike the rev, say, if you, if you go into a corner and it is a true second gear corner, and then you whack the throttle out of the ends, you get, All right. you know, bikes a little sassier these days, but you can roll <laughs> third and then that totally chills it out. It was just yeah. one of those things that I noticed and I was like, oh, okay, this thing's kind of, kind of barking up a little bit. Um, yeah. Great Peaky Blinders reference. I love it yeah <laughs> a little aggressive just a little aggressive it's just lining up for a bit of a fight yeah it's and again it's not something that's taken to a truly aggressive way it's just that hint you know it's just that a hint of arthur shelby not a real full-on arthur shelby no, right. no, no fair no. enough <laughs> no just a hint and then just it great you know, pushing into the electronics of course on the r they pare things down you have those ride modes that i mentioned before you have rain road sport and rider riders the customizable one and that's seen across well i know it's on the speed triple i know it's on some of the other triumphs i can't remember if it's on the adventure bikes either way triumph does this a lot and then you can customize whatever you want and you have the more simplified uh dashboard on the r as well so it's kind of a, a hybrid tft lcd sort of deal and even though it's not as flashy as the tft display you know it's not, it doesn't have the attractive animations and it's not as visually stunning functionally it's actually a little easier to read because the tachometer is that conventional you know scanning from left to right animation and that's something we we can all identify and use on the rs it uses a more i'll say novel animation a bit more futuristic um i'm not even really gonna try to describe it accurately here but it, its color palette relies on a lot of pastel on a white background it's kind of difficult to see when you're you're really focusing on riding aggressively so you can inadvertently find the find the the rev limiter 
And you will, because that power lives up top. So you're going to be trying to extract, you know, you're going to be trying to extract all that. Okay. Um, at any rate, we should talk about the electronics. Again, the bikes are tuned individually. If you were to ride the R and then really start hammering things, you'll notice that the TC and ABS can kick in just that, that kind of little bit earlier than say the RS's systems. But again, it's all cornering ABS and IMU supported yada, yada, yada. And that's really just to kind of, you know, settle the bike for its, its role, you know, it's street riding role. Okay. The other cool kind of addition to this is that these bikes now feature linked braking and that's in all of the standard ride modes. So your rain road and sport, whether we're talking R or RS uses linked braking. And what that's going to do is when you apply the front brake, it's going to automatically apply some rear brake to help settle the chassis just a bit. And if you think about that, that's an old school trick that if you go back to track riding, a lot of people will drag the rear brake just a little to make the whole bike squat down as you're applying the front brake and it, it tends to settle the chassis. You, you can overdo it obviously, but you know, we're adding that into mix. Now on the RS, linked braking and cornering ABS are disabled to give you maximum braking performance in a racetrack setting. And that said, you know, all the electronics work really, really well. Had a great experience with them. If you want linked brakes on the RS, is that a, something that's switchable or, or is it just is what it is? Well, it applies to all of the, the standard pre-programmed ride modes for either motorcycle. So if you're in rain, road, sport, whether you're on the R or the RS, linked braking applies to all of those modes. Oh, I see. I see. Okay. All right. Now the track mode on the RS that's only featured on the RS. Right. Then disables that linking. Yes. Okay. Yeah. All linked right. braking and corner and ABS are then disabled. Okay. Got it. Now TC is really good. We got to, you know, obviously the street is not a place to test any of these systems. And the only reason I have any comments about them is because, you know, when you're doing photo stops and you pull up, you kind of just hammer the brakes just to see what will happen. Um, right. On the racetrack, you can actually, you know, give TC a go and, you know, mess with ABS and stuff like that. Sure. A ABS didn't flinch, you know, in my opinion, for my riding experience and style and speed more than up to the cause. The traction control is helpful as well. You know, we we're riding at Jerez. There are a couple little damp patches. We got some rain the night before, you know. So although it was a 95% dry track, there were a couple little spots, you know, that were drying throughout the day. At any rate, TC works nicely, definitely curtails power in a totally predictable way. It just kind of feels, you know, if you, if you go back to those old school TC systems where they'd sort of cut power and do that like thing, um, and then cause porpoising and stuff like that. You know, it's not like that. It's far, 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 far more refined. It, it essentially just, you know, when you're getting on the gas at high lean angle, things like that, it'll just say, okay, if, if I asked for 25% throttle, it's not gonna give that to me. It's gonna go, no, you probably wanna do with like 15% there guy. And then, you know, lets you <laughs> right. do your thing. It's not, it's not truly restrictive. And then you still have to remember that this isn't really a super sport motorcycle, although its level no. of performance is like, 
eh, not exactly far off, you know? Right. So, um, right. you know, the only complaint you can make about the electronics, and again, you have to put this in a performance sort of mindset is Triumph has a habit of linking wheelie control to traction control. So you can't independently adjust those settings. And if you want to disable wheelie control, you're going to have to disable traction control altogether. And the only sort of downside to that is that going down some of the straightaways, you know, picking up out of a corner, I know that the traction control light was flashing, but I know that it's wheelie control causing that. Now, that's one of those things that I'd like to test independently because in a lot of cases on some other competitor motorcycles, you can't eliminate wheelie control because in my opinion, at about 128 peak horsepower, is wheelie control entirely necessary? Uh, yeah, in some circumstances, but if you're going down the racetrack and you're you know, pointing in that direction, I would argue probably not. However, Triumph's position is that wheelie control is tuned in a way where it's optimizing drive, forward drive. And so that's nice. And it definitely does do it. I would just like to have the ability to adjust with, you know, beyond those parameters. Um, so as a whole, the electronics work nicely for either the road going R or the RS. I just want some more adjustment. And this is something that Triumph has really done for, you know, a lot of its street bikes where it's kind of been explained to me. It's like, this is a street motorcycle. We want to keep it kind of, you know, easier, approachable, yada, yada, yada. And I can see that argument that said, these are extremely advanced electronics. And I would like to see the same level of adjustment that is available on some competitors. Sure. I'm interested, obviously, in, in the handling. I mean, we've, we've touched on the suspension, but how well does that suspension work? I mean, how, how is the handling? These, these bikes are traditionally very sweet, very neutral handling. Um, is there any, anything better? Is the RS any quicker turning or, you know, with that tightened up geometry? Yeah, yeah. It's, if you compare the bikes back to back, um, the R has that traditional sort of feel. And there is a, a little bit of an asterisk on this test that we have to kind of get out of the way. Now, the roads surrounding circuit, Circuito de Jerez Angel Nieto, um, you know, the roads are excellent. They're just these winding canyon roads through countryside and they're beautiful. It reminds me a lot of Southern California and the, the Spanish testers and, you know, the Triumph staff, the British staff, they're like, hey, you know, you guys got to be careful. Some of the roads are pretty abused. They're, there's potholes and, you know, some of the road services are a little bit nasty in, in some, some spots. And, you know, they really made a big point to, to warn us about this. So they put the bikes for the road specifically in a comfort suspension setting. So even softer than, you know, just your standard modes or settings rather. And then we rode on the roads and I was like, hey man, this is just like Southern California. This is great. You know, our crappy ass roads. Anyway, um, <laughs> yeah. so I didn't have a problem with it, but um you know, between the two bikes, yes, there is a palpable difference. That uh, the Showa separate function fork that's on the R and the shock, you know, in those comfort settings, they still do well. The chassis is still a very neutral handling chassis, still handles quite sweetly. You know, you can pitch the bike in. Um, it's just, 
you know, not as pointed as the RS. And I would say in those comfort settings, you know, some of that high speed damping when you're getting those harder, you know, hard edged hits. So imagine going 50, 60 miles an hour and you hit a pothole. Well, it tends to kind of go through the damping and then transfer some of that energy into the rider. Not completely. It's not, you know, I'm not over-exaggerating here, but it's, it's noticeable a little bit when you compare it to the RS. So the R can, you know, twinge a little bit over some of those rough patches. And I would say you could probably tune a lot of that out if we just weren't running those, those softer settings. Um, so I'm not really ready to sort of lambast the R. As it stands, still a traditionally Triumph handling motorcycle. And this is something that they've sort of really built on as this platform has aged, you know. But the RS, as I mentioned before, it hikes up the rear end, puts you kind of over the bars a little bit more, puts a little bit more weight on the front end. There's a palpable difference between the two. I'm not going to lie to you and say that it's all a night and day difference. It's not. It's just a lot more pointed and it handles a bit faster. So it tips in more aggressively. And the suspension is definitely that next step in terms of suspension actuation, how the firmer damping really hides some of that that road surface energy that might be transferred through in those comfort settings on the R. And overall, if you are, are of the sporting mindset, you can tune up an R and get pretty close to an RS, but overall the, the bits that are attached to the RS are gonna take it to that next level along with that you know, revised geometry, okay? So you know, damping rates on both bikes I think are good. The RS is just that extra step and it really comes into its own when you're on the racetrack and you're able to use that sort of wide variety of suspension settings because we started, you know, on the road in a comfort setting. So that's below even your from the factory settings. Then we went to a sport setting for the racetrack for the first session. Then we informed the Triumph staff that we are Americans and we are fat and we proceeded to <laughs> crank all of the all of the screws, tighten things up. And by the end of the day, you know, by, you know, our handful of sessions, we, myself and a couple of the other uh, journalists on the, the press trip that are in that, you know, some of us are 180 pounds, some of us are up into the 200 pound range. We had used a lot of that range of, of adjustment, you know, some of us more than others, but it, it shows how far this bike, you know, how wide its spectrum is. Okay. So, and I'm talking about the RS sure. specifically, because we didn't really get to play with the R's suspension settings. Okay. Um, but yeah, you know, it's, it's a very stable motorcycle. You, as you start tuning that bike, you're going to be able to get more balance out of it. You're going to make a much more confidence inspiring chassis. Sort of, you're going to tease all of those things that we know Triumph to be. So initially that first session, I was like, well, I'm getting a lot of squat, a lot of squish, you know, on the brakes. Um, I need more. Okay. So we turn the screws. Okay. We got more. Okay. Well, I need a little more. Okay. Turn the screws again. Okay. Now we're, we're in a direction that, you know, that, that first adjustment got us, got us to the baseline where I expect, you know, Triumph Street triples to be. Then we took it further and further and further. And even though it's boasting more aggressive geometry, it hasn't introduced instability into the mix, we'll say. So 
you get a very, a very balanced, poised, you know, kind of stately motorcycle still. But that RS really does pay off in, you know, aggressive riding on the road or at the racetrack. And, you know, Jerez, there are some pretty intense corners on that racetrack. I mean, coming into, we'll say, out of four, going into five, um, you know, that's the, uh, is that Cito Pons corner? The, the long uphill, uphill right-hander over the blind hill. Yeah. You know, as you tune, you can just really, really kind of get more balance and, and trust the front end better through there. Yeah. And then, you know, going into, let's say, through the stadium section and then back towards the, uh, you know, the final corner, those final last Lorenzo, corners, yeah. fast right-handers. I mean, those are very fast, yeah. Those are, you know, even on the street triple, that that's some, that's some, you know, let's just be blunt here. That's some, some big balls riding. Um, yeah. Oh yeah. Not on my part. I'm saying, you know, somewhat faster, but then you imagine that on a MotoGP bike and um, yeah, it gets pretty hectic, but um, so just think of the R as the more road, road going version. And if you're, if you're that type of rider and you're like, ah, oh, you know, I might do a track day, like, once a year with my buddies at best the r is still going to treat you right um whereas the rs is like you know what i do like sport riding that's pretty much all i do i do like track days and then you know that the, the price difference between the two we're talking one bike is nine thousand nine hundred ninety five dollars and the other one is twelve thousand five hundred ninety five that's quite a difference it, it is but you're look at what you're getting so you get up spec brakes you get the Brembo MCS master cylinder on the RS. You also get upgraded suspension, TFT display, additional ride mode, model specific tuning, additional horsepower. You get this little belly pan chin thingy thing thing. <laughs> okay. Um, that alone is worth the price of admission. Well, if you were to try to take an R and turn it into an RS, you'd be spending more than that anyway. So it's just not feasible. Um, that's that's the handling in a nutshell. I think, you know, talking about the brakes, just to kind of touch on those, you know, the if you're riding on the street, the main differences are going to be kind of apparent in that initial bite on each system. So with the axial master cylinder, there's a little bit more sweep into the, you know, there's kind of a, uh, we'll call it sort of a dead zone between when it bites and then when it actually starts braking. The brakes are still totally powerful. You know, there's good feel and it is an axial master cylinder. So you're like, oh, okay, it's, you know, a bit old school, but they still, they're still very good. Now you take it to the RS and on the street, you're like, oh, well, okay. This has a little bit more bite. You get that adjustable ratio. So you can go from 19 to 21 and really change how the braking feel is. Um, but where that RS braking system shines is going to be on the racetrack. Um, tons of feel just tons of power and that's you know that's where it's at for me that's that's one of the one of the one of the one of the better braking systems i've felt overall and i think it has to do just with the bike's geometry weight you know the speeds you're hitting etc cetera, etc cetera. i think the stylema calipers those rotors that bike that master cylinder excellent 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 you know sounds like and it. that's and I'm, I'm not talking about super bike stuff which it's kind of, although it's using a lot of the same hardware, it's kind of in a different thing, uh, just due to 
you know, power and geometry and riding position and yada, yada, yada. So. Sure. Sounds like they're both really good bikes, but uh, the RS, if you're, if you're that inclined, it does sound uh, worth that extra coin. Yeah, it's that extra sniff. And some of that plays into the, the seating position as well. So obviously we're still talking about a motorcycle that's, you know, it, it feels quite relative to the older bikes. Um, you still get that neutral riding position, uh, even with the, the styling updates, because things are a little sharper. And that's one point where I think Triumph from a stylistic perspective could have gone a little bit further because I remember looking at the bikes and I'm like, this looks new, but, and then I started looking at the previous version. And I was like, oh, okay, here are the main changes, but you know, they, they carry a very continuous theme for their motorcycles. So that progression, you know, it's, it's, a we'll say a, a slow evolution in terms of like major, you know, leaps forward in terms of aesthetic differences, but they are there. Um, you know, the, the fuel tank is a little bit smaller, um, but you're still going to get, you know, a hundred and some odd miles out of it, which, although everyone's like, well, I need to ride my motorcycle 190 miles, one fuel tank. I'm like, yeah, well, I don't want to <laughs> ride a motorcycle for 190 miles straight. It's annoying. I'm going to get off. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like I'm going to, I'll qualify that. I don't want to ride sport bikes for that long in a straight line ever. Right. A touring motorcycle is different. This is not, this is a sport bike. Um, and then the, the big sort of seating position change is going to be the fact that it, it got the speed triples handlebar, which is something like a, something like a half inch longer, just gives you some more leverage. Um, I prefer this. Actually, it, it seems more fitting for me. And for context, kind of apply this to what I said about the suspension. I'm at that 180 pound range. So right. if you're lighter, I heard some of the lighter journalists saying that the RS may be a little bit firmly damped for road riding. Now, my response to them is eat more pizza. And they'll feel that the suspension <laughs> is great. Yeah. So you always have to put some context to what we're saying about, um, you know, road, you know, ride quality and things like that. Between the two bikes, the R does sit a little bit lower. Its seat height is lower than the 32.9 inches of the RS. Again, that bike is jacked up in the rear. That doesn't really matter for my 32 inch inseam. I can still get my boots on the deck more than confidently. And, you know, the, the bikes are kept very slim overall. Um, you know, kind of wrapping up this, this aesthetic and seating position and also the handling talk, the one thing I forgot to mention is that there are tire differences between the two. On the R bike, which is reinforcing that road narrative, you have the Continental Conti Road tire. It's a hard compound tire, hard carcass construction doesn't give as much feedback nor near the, the grip levels that you'd see on the RS motorcycle, which uses the tried true Pirelli Diablo Super Corsa V3. And then all of you will clap and it will be great. And there will be much merriment because that is an excellent tire for sport riding. Sure. The downside to it, you're not going to get anywhere near the same mileage as you would out of that, as, out of that Conti Road. My sporting perspective leans towards the Pirelli 
the Contis still work, but be aware you're getting less grip than that for a tire in that classification. Yeah. You know, this isn't a, a pointed conversation where I'm shotgun blasting the, the Conti. You have to understand that there's a stratification to tires. Yeah. It pays you money. You get your choice. Yeah. So kind of wrapping it up you know, with this update, again, you know, the engine updates, the electronic updates, the aesthetic updates, you know, that's for, you know, eyes of the beholder geometry, things like that. Overall, this is more than that, that sort of mid mid life cycle refresh. They've really done some important things to me. The IMU supported rider aids are incredibly critical to this story because I think they're worth their weight in gold. Um, and it also solved a problem that we had on the 2020 street triple where it's ABS again, due to the fact that it was a more quote unquote analog system that relied on wheel speed sensors and preset conditions only the ABS was way too intrusive on the racetrack, like way too intrusive on these bikes. I didn't have a single problem at all. So there's that. Okay. Gold star. Cool. The handling differences, it really separates the two motorcycles. It gives them clear paths for the consumer to go like, okay, this is who I am. This is what I'm going to buy. And, you know, if I want to go to the road, the road rides, you know, I'm focusing on that. Yada, yada, yada. R bike, more sporty person. Okay. RS. There you go. And it's a, that division already existed, you know, because the R and the RS have, have been in the fleet for some time now, but they're really underscoring those paths. Um, and the build quality is excellent. The engine updates are nice. Uh, the extra power is always appreciated, but that gearing, that's the, that's the big, big thing here really helps you get into the power much easier and just makes it more rideable. Not, not that the engines weren't before, but it just, builds on that on those positive feelings then the handling of course you know there is a clear division like i mentioned before but for me the rs is where it's at in terms of you know ride quality sporty handling but that's just my personality you may go for the r the only quibbles are are really minor quibbles like on the the rs the dash is it's hard to see the rpm gauge you can see a lot of the other information but it's just there's too much pastel. I need more contrasting colors. Um, and if the animation was a little less, uh, you know, space age, like, I don't know, spaceship fighter jet thing. I don't know. That's the only way I can describe it. <laughs> you know, if it was just a little more conventional, <laughs> I think I would appreciate it more. Um, sure. Okay. And All right. that, that's about it. Other than that, uh, you're really struggling to complain about these bikes. Um, yeah, they sound great. Sound awesome. I love the street triple. All right. Hey, thanks a lot for the insight. That's great. Really appreciate it as always. Sounds good. In this second segment, associate editor TJ Adams chats with Patrick Buzz Hayes. Patrick's a lifelong motorcycle rider and power sports photographer and he is now involved in the raising of funds and the production of an upcoming documentary movie about Lily Farrow. She's the founder of A.D. Farrow, America's oldest Harley-Davidson dealer. Iron Lily will bring the incredible story of Lily to the big screen, highlighting the trials, tribulations, and ultimate amazing success of a lady who overcame such obstacles 
to take care of her family. So, from all of us at Ultimate Motorcycling, we hope you enjoy this episode of Motos and Friends. We love your feedback. Please send us your comments and suggestions at producer at ultimatemotorcycling.com. And if you like Motos and Friends, hit the subscribe button. Reputation precedes it, unmatched performance and striking style define it. We're talking about the 2023 Suzuki Hayabusa. This legendary sport bike is the quickest, most technologically advanced and aerodynamic Hayabusa ever. Its raw power and unparalleled acceleration matches your own drive, while its head-turning design embodies your spirit's flair. Led by the Suzuki Intelligent Ride System, the Hayabusa gives riders a comprehensive collection of electronic rider aids, like the bi-directional quickshifter, the drive mode selector, launch control system, and the cruise control system that simultaneously increases performance, comfort, and rideability. While its advanced analog and TFT LCD display panel connects you to the ride like never before, blending over 20 years of tradition with innovation. Plus, the Hayabusa comes in three new eye-catching color combinations, and it offers a full suite of available Suzuki Genuine accessories that you can choose from. The ultimate rider waits, so head into your local Suzuki dealer now, or visit suzukicycles.com to learn more. So it's a motorcycle movie in general. Um, it, it just so happens to be a story about a, deal, a Harley dealership. And, you know, we just launched to the world uh, basically the other day uh, at AIM. Um, I mean, we kind of quietly launched this project last AIM, but, you know, we're pretty open in public now. We've you know, got all the, everything in place to educate people about the project. So I'm, I'm sure Harley's finding out about it right now, just like everybody else. Well, I'm yeah. sure that they're going to be pleased. I mean, anything that underscores their their um, timeline and their history is it's got to be a bonus. I wanted to to ask how you actually started getting involved in the motorcycle world in particular. Did you are a rider? I grew up with bikes, so it, it was you know we had from mini bikes to trail bikes and then to bigger dirt bikes. So um, I I actually work for Michael Johnson in a different capacity. He's our one of our big. Uh, leaders i guess you could say mr johnson and uh him and bob altelfer came up with this whole project together and um uh, michael's a big rider and uh anyway he was at aim show i guess three three years ago or so and they met and talked about bob they i don't know how they got in the conversation about lily and what started the pharaoh dealership and and the dealership name and all so anyways i work for michael um as a basically a, co a content creator, designer, media guy, marketing guy for one of his businesses, which is a big duck hunting lodge down in Louisiana. Right. So, yeah. So, so that's where I came into the picture and I've kind of heard about the project. I, um, uh, we do some, uh, TV show type shows. Okay. You know, they're not on TV anymore. We took them off broadcast TV. We're on, on the internet now, but. Oh, what sort of yeah. shows would we know? So they're hunting shows basically. One show is about the 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 duck hunting lodge is called Honey Break, and it's more than just a duck hunting lodge. It's a big operation uh, with different facets to it. And but duck hunting is the core. 
So um, we have a show called the Honey Break Experience. We've had it for probably nine or 10 years. And we used to be broadcast TV. So the last six years, I've helped produce that show, among other, a couple other shows. And uh, and I, I like the, I really get into the, um, you know, that this type of world, which is creating, you know, video, media, film, all that stuff. So, yeah, sounds lovely. Yeah, I asked him if I, I'm a, des- a designer by trade um, before photography came into my life. And um, so I he got me in to do the logo and uh, I worked on this is the logo right here, the L. And um, so I started there and then I just got sucked into everything. So all the visuals that you see from the, the insert and in, in dealer news to the booth stuff to the websites and all that, I design all that stuff. So we're talking about the Lily project. Yes, and- correct um let's uh tell our listeners what that's about really so um michael sort of found out some information about the oldest harley davidson dealership correct yeah he met mr farrow at aim like i said i think it was about three shows ago or four um and they met together and got on the subject of lily and where the pharaoh i guess where the pharaoh name came from and uh lily started the pharaoh dealership with her husband in 1912 wow and so, yeah, so they uh, they started in a little town outside of Columbus, Ohio, um, and the um, uh, they ended up he ended up dying at the age of 27 in the shop. Uh, he had acute appendicitis and uh, so Lily was faced with the shop, um, some kids, you know, uh, and she carried on. And to like I said, to this day, they're now three Faro dealerships and they're still around. And still operating strong. So they're the oldest continuous Harley dealership in the world. That's astounding. She had some foresight. Yep, she did. And she made it through uh, not only the death of her husband uh, and having to run a business, but the Great Depression and the flu pandemic back in 1918 and, and you know, war and everything. So yeah. uh, she figured it out. And it's pretty cool. We have a, a, a pretty recent Instagram post about how, one of the ways she did that. And she worked with police departments and, and did service and sold parts and, you know, whatever she could do. That's mainly um, how she got through the tough times. So it sounds like, yeah, she had a, a bit of diversity going on there. She obviously had a, a business mind probably without even knowing it, but had to survive. Sure. Sure. And, and she was also um, a big part of, this project that we're trying to highlight is women's empowerment. So she really, in an age when, you know, a time when women didn't own motorcycle shops, you know what I mean? Yes, they were, they were kept really. I mean, they weren't in a lot of cases even allowed to earn any money. So um, the project, the the project is, um, you know, we're, we're making a movie, right. And, and a brand. So this is going to be, um, we're creating the Iron Lily brand and, and subsequently making a movie out of it. But um, so you'll see the the movie portion takes place from 1912 to roughly 1932. So it's that part of her life. And she lived until the 80s, um, you know, and uh, but that's the chunk that we're taking uh, charge of. And that's the screenplay is, was written. We already have a screenplay where we have a director. Uh, we have original music already composed. And so now we're kind of uh, in the launching, uh, announcing to the world this project, and then we're launching a, uh, a first we're starting with a crowdfunding campaign, which starts Tuesday, and uh, on WeFunder, uh, so we're ironically 
Iron Lily project or Iron Lily on the WeFunder site. And um, that's that's exciting. We've already started it with like a soft launch and we're uh, we're raising money right now. So is there a minimum? Or- the minimum is a hundred a hundred dollar investment. And it, these are investments. So you actually will own part of the movie. Um, yeah, it's not a donation. You know, it's uh, WeFunder is, is all about investing in companies. And uh, so, yeah, it's pretty cool. Like I've got um, a lot of family and friends are already and you know, just because they want to be part of this project. So uh, you'll be, uh, all the investors will be apprised of all the updates as we get along in development process. And uh, we're going to, uh, you, you'll you'll get alerted from, if you join for the site uh, or as an investor, you'll get alerted to updates and, and um, um, you know, we'll obviously publish all that on our website as we go along. So ironlily.com is our website, by the way. And, uh, and you can get there from there. We're going to, we just launched officially, I guess you could say at AIM just a few, uh, two weeks ago. At that show. uh, Yes. Yes. And then we're going to, uh, we're going to be at a lot of different events. I know we're going to Daytona next week. Um, and we have a a booth up in the second floor of the Harley dealership there. Um, and we'll be there for the whole nine or 10 days, I guess. And then we're going, we're already planning for Sturgis and, you know, different shows in between. So anybody going to Daytona and other shows, just have a look out for the Iron Lily project and they'll be able to come and have a chat. And uh... Yep, have a chat at, the, at our booth. That's correct. And you can join us. Uh, we're going to have some fun stuff, um, giveaways for people who join our, or follow us on Instagram, things like that. But I'm, I'm going to, I personally am going to be there for the race on Saturday, the 4th. I'm going to photograph uh Brittany Olson and, uh, and, and another lady, um, I'm going to photograph them racing on the beach there. And that's, you know, we just want some, Brittany is part of our advisory team and we want to use just, I just want the content. I, I want to keep our socials, uh, um, brisk and, and, you know, running every day. So I, I need as much content as I can get. So, yeah, that's going to be really interesting to have those. So uh, both of your advisors, lady, lady races. I know Brittany Olson is, uh, she races uh, antique motorcycles. That's correct. Yeah. She's, um, and uh, she actually lives, hold on one second. I'm trying to get some. She actually lives near Sturgis and she's going to be uh, um, uh, hopefully helping us out there when we get there. You know, that'd be in August. Um, but, um, yeah, it's all exciting. I, I'm, I'm really, you know, found a new passion now it's motorcycle photography and, and video and, and things like that. So, and of course you've had to find people who the advisors have to know all the, all the sort of genuine re- ways of those old motorcycles, because it's a completely different way around of riding than we have these days. Oh, for sure. Yeah. They're, uh, I photographed some bikes already that were in that era, 1912, um, um, Bob uh, Altuff has a couple bikes. He's got a Harley, a Merkel, and a uh, Indian in his in one of the store. He has a mini museum um, at one of the one of the locations in Columbus, and I got to wheel them out and photograph them and mess with them. All original, beautiful machines. So fantastic! So you'll be learning a lot. You'll be learning about all those uh, old machines and yeah, yeah, it's fun. Yeah, the the film is going to be. I originally volunteered to shoot stills on the set, right? That's what I thought it'd be really cool because I figured it, when I learned about the screenplay and then and then saw that the the type of actors that they're going for this is you know major production Hollywood types Hollywood style production. 
I was I told Michael, I said, I, I want to shoot on the set, you know, shoot stills. I'll come up wherever you guys are filming and we'll come do that. And that's that's actually how I got started. I volunteered for that. And now I'm, you know, a big part of the brand, which is which is I'm happy with. It's really fun. So some actors are in place. Who have we got? No, no actors are in place yet, but we have a wish list. Uh, uh, yeah, it's very uh, detailed, developed. You know, we want riders, obviously. Um, so we're going to bring in motorcycle folks and then some, you know, A-listers that fit that bill as well. You know, like Ari, I know that I've had a sneak peek at the wish list of, of types of talent that we want. And the cool thing is, is they're pretty much, you know, they're all associated with bikes somehow, usually. You'll need a lot. You'll need people, sort of background folk who are also riders. Yeah, we're going to need extras for sure. And, and we're going to need a bunch of bikes. So, you know, depending on what what year we're doing, we're going to be authentic to the the, the period. So um, logistically, I think that's going to be a, one of our one of our most challenging shoots is going to be the, the racing stuff. That's going to be such good fun, though. Just hopefully, you know, you'll have a lot of people come out of the woodwork with some amazing machines that you'll be able to get together. A hundred percent. That's why that's another reason I wanted to be on set, because, you know, when I read the screenplay, I saw these races scene, for example, the first one. And I thought that would be amazing to get on camera. You know, I'm a still shooter. I don't shoot a lot of video, but, um, you know, I, every major production has still shooters there getting capturing moments for marketing purposes and and you know who knows but uh um yeah having all those spikes together in one place it's going to be pretty cool that's what one reason i'm looking forward to to daytona next week is because i know there's going to be some cool bikes all in one place there as well and uh you know i'm just going to try to interpret it however i can through my lens it's very evocative sort of subject i think the old machine i'm always shocked when i see you know motorcycles that are from well, 1950s, let alone 1930s, et cetera, that is still running. Yeah, it's funny. I asked for um, a bunch of my friends who are into motorcycles and, and have bikes. And I said, do you know anybody with an old, like an old Harley or anything? Because I wanted to do some still stuff, you know, for marketing purposes. And they always go, yeah, I know a guy's got a 1950 or, or for, you know, a bike from the World War II. And I said, no, 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 I'm talking old, like <laughs> 15 you know, so that's a bit, that's a different animal, it really is. There's not a lot of those bikes running around. I'm surprised there are any, but yeah. hopefully you'll get it. You'll get a good selection and you'll be putting a lot of people together who've been preserving the machines and keeping them alive. That's correct. And I think this is a great opportunity for those folks to, you know, they obviously have a passion. If you have a motorcycle like that, yeah, you are passionate about it. So what are you going to do with that thing? So I think you know there are rides vintage bike rides and things like that but but to be in a movie of this that impacts the industry like this and the, the lifestyle right it's all about the motorcycle lifestyle and so i think um this is a call open call it always will be if you can follow us and learn about the production and you want to be out there give me a shout <laughs> we'll get get you on set somehow it's really going to record a you know a portion of time. It's history. Correct. Yeah, and it's it's really cool. It's the you know the screenplay is obviously a true story or based on her true story. Um, so it's it is it's trying to you know capture the moment in time and 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 try to portray it accurately and try to make it and also make a compelling story and and uh, I think it's so I'll say this too 
I think it's also um, going to be a movie that's more than just motorcycles. You know, like I said, it's about women's empowerment. It's about uh, anybody's empowerment, you know, making it through adverse situations and, and just, um, you know, stepping up and getting it done. It's more than just a survival, isn't it? She's um, managed to pull through and and make a business and uh... a business that lasted today. Yeah. So, do you know if there's much around in the way of um, sort of photographs? Well, first of all, is the original dealership still standing? The building is there. Um, the original building is there. I got. I, I was fortunate to travel up there last year. And, I, you know, I visited the Haro, the Pharaoh dealership itself, the, the modern day, one of the stores. Um, but we we traveled back. To, uh, I forgot how long distance it was from Columbus, but a little town outside of Columbus and the building shot the building. Uh, it's it's a really cool looking old little building. It's we've we've shown it some here and there in, in some of my uh, imagery on social. But um, yeah, so it's I wanted to, you know, I thought, man, that'd make a really cool like restaurant or something <laughs> yes with a motorcycle theme and and all that if not a if not a cool motorcycle shop again but uh it's empty right now or it was not empty but locked up you know yeah someone needs to, someone needs to take that building back and, and make something out of it so and from way back then are there photographs do you know what lily farrow looked like yeah i've got i've got a good a good amount of photos um they're they're also represented on our website and our social i've got a gallery up there um some really cool pics of her she started some uh you know the first i think the first uniformed women's motorcycle club she uh um, was a proponent of charity races and and motorcycle races and um and so i've got photos of those different you know some clubs um really cool stuff yeah and uh so yeah, we know what she looked like. I've actually fed some of those photos uh, collectively into AI and recreated her face uh, in a kind of a modern look. It's pretty cool. And uh, that's represented as well in our, our social. Um, but uh, yeah, she was um, uh, everywhere in the motorcycle business or the motorcycle lifestyle, I'll say. How amazing, how interesting. One of the one of the races that she was a big proponent of is is called Charity Newsies, um, which it's a group that, that they had a motorcycle race and they and they um, it's a group that uh, benefits um, the I'd say just the poor kids in and around Columbus, Ohio, you know, and uh, that's a really good thing to to read about. But anyways, that race she was a big advocate of that and promoter, and uh, that's you know they still. The charity news is still around today so yeah i guess her heart would have been with um well families or children who were sort of being orphaned and uh through no control of their own needing needing aid needing help yeah they needed coats originally my understanding is they the first people that uh started the charity um they sold newspapers um the kids were selling newspapers in the street in the cold and so these guys went out, bought them all, and, and sold them for them, and that's when they, that's when they started. So just directly made a difference. Yeah, yeah, and she got she uh, latched onto that and helped run a motorcycle race to benefit them as well. And does Lily have any um, existing family? Has anybody come down the from the family tree? She does. 
I have met, and they're part of our advisory team, uh, her three granddaughters in Columbus. When I went up there, I got to meet three of her granddaughters and, and they, they've been a great help supplying us with stories and, and imagery and, you know, things like that. So they're, and their blessing is on this project. Yeah, they must be delighted that you are recording this story, this amazing story. Yeah, I think so. And, and we're, we're happy to have their help. Do they look like uh, their grandmother? A little bit. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Funny that they're girls, three girls. Yeah, three ladies. And and there's great great granddaughters. You know, they, um, we've I just heard from one of them. We've got a a little uh, a piece on Instagram a couple weeks back where uh, some guy painted Lily Ford, one of the great granddaughters, and she allowed us to put that on there. So some pretty cool stuff we're digging up. It's kind of a search. You know, you got to you got to be a little bit of a researcher to be doing this project. Yeah, I guess you just must prod something and then a whole new sort of avenue opens up. Correct. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think it's going to uplift the whole industry. So that's the goal. Well, it sounds like an uplifting story. I mean, it's so positive to hear somebody who's, I mean, to have your husband die when he's 26 years old. I mean, I wasn't even married then, but that's another story. <laughs> <laughs> Let alone with children. And then to have your husband, the provider, pass away and to actually make something of yourself. Yeah, yeah, they were definitely partners, and it, it, I'm sure it was tough. But um, you know, we have a we have a little timeline thing that runs on our website, and, and a, it, just some basic major major periods in her life. And uh, we always say at the bottom, and Lily carries on because have, no matter what happened, she kept going. Are we able to buy uh, merchandise? We're developing that. I just had a meeting right before this call. Um, I'm doing point of purchase for apparel and things with our with our logo we're getting licensees we have a we actually have a sunglasses company right now that we're uh we, we've signed a licensing agreement with so this little l will be all over everything the winged l nice yeah that's very cool thank you thank you yeah it was my uh my my contribution so far is is <laughs> been the branding um which i love i love working in that in that side of it so that's such a talent Thanks. And are you trained to be, are you trained in the creative world or is that something that's just. Yeah, I went to, I went to school. I, I graduated uh, from Old Dominion University in Virginia uh, with a graphic design degree. And uh, then I did that for a few years and, and independent, basically uh, just an independent contractor and um, started, uh, started, I didn't want to pay for other people's photography because I like photography. And then I started doing my own and then I discovered I liked it better than almost anything else. Impatient people like photography because it's pretty instant these days. Yes. As you, as you probably understand that one. So yeah, photography, it's funny. Um, I've, I've got uh, three boys and you know, they're in their twenties and they have gone back to old school cameras, you know, film. Oh yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. cool. Interesting. So I've got a few, my grandfather and grandmother both were in the, in the media um and my grandfather i have his one of his cameras behind me and it's the roloflex roloflex um i'm scared to use it i i i started in school with film um and i think i think even today photography classes train guys on guys and girls on film at least they should uh you know in the beginning it might not anymore but anyway when i 25 years ago or whatever i started in film and um and we already had some digital cameras, but 
I don't know. I couldn't imagine doing that today. You know, I shoot a lot. And I, I think, uh, you know, I'll go to Daytona in a day, you know, shoot 10,000 frames probably. And I, I couldn't do yeah. that film. No, you were back in the day. You were so precious about every shot. The first time I went overseas, I went to um, England and then over to Normandy. I'm a big history fan. I was in the army. So I went over to the D-Day area and Normandy area. D-Day oh, beaches. interesting. Went, took a camera. I was actually on doing an assignment for um, Chicago, one of the uh, smaller Chicago papers for travel section. And I had, I think, 10 rolls of 24 exposures. So I had 240 frames with me. And I thought I was loaded for bear. <laughs> I, I was, you know, now I wouldn't, I wouldn't leave my house for, you know, without, uh, I don't know, 25 SD cards in my pocket. Access to millions of yeah oh yeah shots yeah. what a difference yeah and of those frames you know you back in the day you know you were lucky to get one or two from a role that you were happy with well you know it's it's even today when i'm you know i'm shooting uh, i'll say one of my cards i could probably shoot you know three thousand frames on one card out of that three thousand depending on what i'm shooting i shoot a lot of real-time action stuff but you know i might not get but you know out of that three thousand maybe ten 20 that's it really good quality images that i'm going to use you know what i mean so it's kind of the same it just i think we just we have the ability to shoot more just to make sure we get that shot especially shooting real-time action like duck hunting or motorcycle race or something like that you're only going to get a few but we just have the ability to shoot more than than they did back then yeah the ratio is probably similar yeah right right probably so we'll see. I'm I'm excited about Daytona. I think uh, being in in the the crowd, you know, AIM's cool, but AIM is an industry show. Yes, AIM Expo. That's the one we just went to in Las Vegas. Yeah, you didn't have any any of the the public, and we need the public. We need all these riders who are out there actually doing it. That's why I'm excited. Since I've been involved with the project, this will be my first um, kind of exposure to a massive of uh, people who are the who are the enthusiasts who are into this lifestyle and uh you're going to have the vintage bike race and then we've got you know the harley dealership there and just i'm excited to see and meet these folks and you know get their opinion on what we're doing yeah you'll be immersed in that world where people actually have the the knowledge correct and then you'll find out if you're kind of really getting into the grit of things yes and so far you know we've like I say, just people we know that are in the in the lifestyle, they um we've gotten really positive, uh, really super positive responses from them and enthusiasm from them and you know, support from them. So I can only imagine what it's like with a mass of those kind of people all in one place. Yeah, you'll get a heap of ideas. You'll have people coming out with all sorts of things that you you haven't even thought of yet. Yeah, that's that's right. We're gonna take a few notepads for sure. And <laughs> we, we're gonna be recording, we're we're gonna record uh well, there's a lot of events and, and luncheons and things that we're going to be at. And we have uh, our social media um, guru uh, is going to be there with us. And she's going to be attending these events and recording everybody and getting, you know, Facebook live interviews and whatever we can do. So we're, we're going to have all that when, when we're done. We're going to have a lot of mass to just digest, you know. Yeah, that'll be great. And you'll also then have a record of when people are chatting and they start with myself you know you start thinking about people you know who've got a vintage bike or who've been involved in that type of thing and 
you know, once once people start verbalizing, you, you need to be able to have a record of that so that you can go back and make sure you track down who said what and how you can get hold of certain certain things. Yeah, because you'll forget in the moment, you know, you, I mean, things a lot of things. It's like drinking from a fire hose, right? So you got all this stuff coming at you and you have to. You can only really for me anyway, I can only concentrate on a couple of things at once. And so I want to have it all recorded and, and definitely get people on camera and and um and then go back and review that and you know like i said digest that info it's funny i went to the barber museum and outside of birmingham uh yeah back in january and uh we met with those guys they're gonna help us um in any any way they can they've got some archives that i'm gonna go through and looking for imagery and and you know that kind of stuff but that that place is amazing, by the way. Um, that Barber Museum, I, it, it blew me away. Middle of Alabama, who knew? But uh, it's uh, pretty big as well, isn't it? You could do with a few days there. Yeah, you could do a few days there for sure. They've got um, their events coming up. I can't remember when it is. I should know that, but they have a big bike week type event there, you know. And uh, but um, yeah, the 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 elevator in the middle of the building has a Indy uh, Formula One car on top of it. <laughs> it's an amazing building in itself actually isn't it it is architecturally it's beautiful and and very modern and cool and and uh just well designed and you know with the with it, i think it was built for this particular purpose so it's kind of feels like you're in a you know next to a racetrack somewhere or something like that but but the yeah the the vintage bikes there are just unbelievably cool yeah they've got a lot a lot of um old bikes and old memorabilia they have a library there where they're collating yeah i mean they've got every they've got a, a an outboard antique outboard uh boat motor collection that blow you away and just like you know where did that he collected everything or collects to this day i guess anything and everything so modern from the oldest motorcycle uh oldest vehicle with a motor on it you know because they was more like bikes really with motors on them tell to the you know the newest one he had they're all there they have some very unusual machines as well sort of in between throughout the history of motorcycling very unusual we had uh, we did a podcast with um mr barber and he i think it was him that told us um that the building is actually designed on a car park you know how the ramps go up when you think about it yeah yeah so um yeah, that's kind of what I got the feeling of, yeah, like a car park or, or even like a stadium, like a, a giant stadium that has the big. Yes, but it's really cool the way one area merges into another without noticing it, you're kind of moving yourself along. It's very cool. Yes. Yeah, very cool. And uh, of course, they. I think he did have a, a a lot to say about the design of the racetrack. You know, they had the track built right there for themselves. Yeah, that's my my next goal is to get on that track somehow. <laughs> you know, take a or something. Um, they when we were there, they had Mercedes had a uh, um, in a I don't know what you call it, but you know people could jump in their cars and drive around, and they had a big event there. So they host a lot of different things there as well, because it is a motorsports park and not just a museum. Yeah, it's a great uh, ambassador for the area actually for going to Birmingham, Alabama. It's it's uh, and there's lovely riding roads around there. It's just gorgeous. Yeah. Yeah, it is a beautiful place. Yeah. So that's very exciting. I I feel as though 
<laughs> we all of our listeners are kind of in on the ground level here at this amazing project and sort of be part of it yeah you pay 100 bucks and you get a share the movie project so yeah the and it i'd love the timing thanks for letting me talk because the um like i said tuesday we're open up for investing and open up for just anything i mean you know check out the website ask questions give us some info um if you've got you know old imagery or want to be part part of the movie or whatever just contact us and we'll we'll uh we'll uh, check it out okay well thanks for sparing us the time sounds like we hit you in the right spot and uh yeah i'm really excited really looking forward to seeing the lily project go way ahead thank you very much for having me